value in their own self or with people that look like them because systematic societal things. So it's less for me to think about taking your life because I don't necessarily see value in said thing. It's not of importance. And so welcome to the Kyle Known Podcast, everybody. This is episode five. I gave you power. Um, I got my brother Delante Jones with me. Delante Jones is my brother, brother man from the east side of Detroit. Better get it right. Um, he's here, you know, just to kind of give us his expert point of view when it comes to just being a real brother man, you know, and uh, just having experiences. And we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about gun violence um, because gun violence is I don't know, Jones, what is gun violence when you hear gun like just the the term? I think it's like settling differences with firearms or I think it's the access. I think it's the access of kind of like settling said differences. So taking it to said extreme. But Mm. I also one thing I talked to my wife about something that I'm battling with is that I'm kind of desensitized to it where I've seen so much of it. Not, you know, I'm saying just always firsthand, uh, but just seeing it so much in the media that it's like it's the violence. Like yeah. any kind of it, like, cause we ain't always doing it with guns. They killing people out here with their bare hands and we recording it in the process. So it's just along that level. And on the Calvin and the podcast, which is the teacher podcast, right? You know, you, t- you talked about settling differences, right? And it's the extreme level, but there's always a mediator, right? There's someone, or there should be a mediator, right? As the teacher, we try to come in and mediate, you know what I'm saying? We try to come in and infiltrate. Right. Especially when you're talking about urban ed and you're talking about areas that have been displaced, areas that have disparities, areas that have been neglected. Right. And we want to go in and help. Right. And and, and be effective, you know, Um, but sometimes it's bigger than that. Sometimes we're bigger. It's bigger than us. Right. And we want to we want to be that savior. And so today we're going to talk about just essentially mental health and a crucial when it comes to the education system. And typically when you have kids that, you know, you, you invested in kids that you poured into and unfortunately you may lose them to gun violence, which is a reality for a lot of teachers. Right. It may be you may not be a reality for certain teachers that teach in certain districts, but it's a reality for that teach in our district, right? But then also when we talk about gun violence, right? It's not just a privileged thing no more, right? Gun violence has happened everywhere now. When we talk about- Even violence. Violence, yeah. Even violence. Like kids are leaving schools because they, you know, they getting bullied. And from a physical standpoint, kids are leaving schools because their bus ride home using public transportation. You know, I, I, as a father of daughters, like, I, I for sure love my experiences on the D dot, but I'm fearful for my kids to, you know, take that route. So I think it's just a, a lot of violence in general. I think that you got some, um, what is the word or the term for when people are like violent with their biases? Mm. You know, when I believe that you are some way, or I believe that you can only achieve in a certain realm or in a certain reality. And then I treat you as such. So I don't give you the opportunity. It's kind of like you squeezing a bird. I I hate those, but I always think it's funny when people go to the funerals and they holding the dove and they holding mm. the dove and they giving this long, long speech. Beach. And then eventually when they get ready to let the bird go, let the dove go, <laughs> the dove just die. 
It's like you just squeeze me, you just squeeze me, you just squeeze me. Sometimes as teachers in education, we doing that too. We mm. squeezing the babies just with so much structure, so much discipline, so much what we want to like self-regulation. You need to learn that. And then when it's finally time to relinquish them, you know, that bird is kind of, that's violence. And so, so we lose yeah. a case of that too. So indirect violence, right? Not like Correct. actual physical violence. Like you can cause harm to kids without physically touching them, Correct. right? You can be an ineffective teacher and be trash. And you can do harm to kids. Like actually statistics show that an ineffective teacher does worse than a sub. That if you're ineffective, you can do more Yeah, because you're showing up every yeah, day. Exactly. You're showing up every day. Like I think a sub, you kind of just come in with the mentality like, oh, I'm just here to get a check. But when it's an inefficient teacher, it becomes more of a school issue because the kids lose faith in whoever they think of as like the big homie teacher. Because it's like, why you let this person come and collect a check every day? And they ain't doing nothing or they not educating us in a way. And then they lose faith in the people that might be at the admin level because they looking like, why are you not helping or supporting to get this said individual out of here? Um, and I agree with that. Yeah, no, for sure. And so let's talk about you real quick. So, brother, man, you have a new role or you've been in this role seasoned. And what is your role? What do you do? Yeah. Uh, so I'm the dean of culture um, at a Charter High School. Mm -hmm. And I think for me. The role, you know, when I tell people that, right, like, what is that? So twofold, I am responsible for leading the team and committees and kind of like initiatives that build positive school culture, yeah. positive school uh, uh, pieces of belonging. But then also, you know, just with like societal things happen where kids make mistakes, adult make mistakes. And I'm also um, on the second side, I serve as the liaison um, for those different kind of interactions. And you were a teacher before, right? And yeah. then you got into the English teacher. Role. Yeah. I was an English teacher by yeah. trade, taught college writing. Yeah. What was um, that transition like? Yeah. So I, I also, I started in the role that I supervise now is like a leadership coach. I started there. I really, didn't like the role because I just felt mm. like I was serving as a kind of correctional officer. Like we was telling kids to tie their shoes and tuck their shirts and you couldn't wear like green hair. It's like we you had to wear like earth tone hair. And it was like, what's really earth tone? Uh blonde, <laughs> blonde man. What's really earth tone? Um blind man. What's really earth tone? Like talk about that. So I didn't really like that just because of the um kind of, you know, what do we know now is the term like racist practices. Yeah. Um so I saw the classroom as a way to kind of invoke uh some change. But then, you know, with that, you only in a pocket where you only see a ninth graders and then you really only have to talk about English. And I love to like talk with people and I love to like go on tangents yeah. and have like those types of conversations. But as a teacher that has to get test scores and, um, you know, meet different metrics and lesson plan, that wasn't necessarily my bad. Interesting. So I I wanted to, you know, I've ran into different things. And then I think now where I am now, understanding that I can't keep running because I'm not going to run back to the classroom. But, you know, if the bag right, we can talk. <laughs> you know, a couple perks. But now... I see myself as being the uh, a change a change agent, yeah, in our school and being somebody that has experiences in all of the different um, spaces in our building. And then I, you know, I talk about it openly. Um, I do have plans to uh, become a principal one day. Yes, and then also uh, it's my goal to like 
own my own school. I don't know if the term is like own because I'm not necessarily trying to make like any money off of it, but I want to be the head person. Yeah, but I think just to sustain myself. Yeah, Yeah. just to, but to the point where I want to uh, just be the person that makes those decisions and like things have to run through me or said team because I got some creative ideas and I don't really want to be blocked by people because of other things. So. so let me ask you this real interesting question, right? So you've been a dean for about two and a years, right? And you said you got out of the classroom, right? So you can probably get a broader perspective maybe on not what the overall issue is, but just kind of give you a little bit more autonomy so you can yeah, be so more effective, right? More students, more stu- <laughs> you see you see a lot of uh just you know you see you see through more of the bs now right more things become more clear the clarity the oh so that's why that's happening right because you have a lot more power so my question to you is let's say right so the topic is gun violence so we got gun violence we got climate change we got racism we got white supremacy all on one team yeah for sure and then we got me you everybody on our team yeah. And everybody else that got that mindset. Yeah. And we in a game right now. Like, we in a game. Like, right. real game. Let's call it basketball. Because I love basketball. You love basketball? I love basketball. Right. Shout out to the basketball players out there. Shout out to the basketball team, man. You know. What do you think the score is right now? <laughs> Q, Ice Wear Vezo up the score. Um, it's a landslide. And we're getting tapped. <laughs> but I think the difference is, like, the clock is eternal. Mm, interesting. It's gonna, it's gonna, or, you know, it's 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 gonna continue. Uh, <laughs> I, we get them sponsorships, so I won't say. Uh huh. Yeah, man. In in the words of uh, Young Jeffrey, hustling don't stop and keep going. Okay. Um, and I, I think that we have the power to really change it. We can run it up, but I just think right now we're not organized. Interesting. You ever seen a good basketball team. Have star players, have guys that can get to the rim and highlight reels. That's really what the monsters are doing. Like, yeah, you get highlight reels of gun violence. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Ice glaciers built, and you you seeing all that real time. But I think right now we got so many good people in different pockets, but we're not organized. So go to your typical AAU game. Um, not I ain't making it about race, but kids that are organized, and you go into this team, you see this white team, you like. Oh no, nah, these black kids about to bust. He's 6'3, he's 6'5. But these young people have been playing with each other since they were two. So now you're talking about those same teams of people. They've been organized. We've been organized. We They've just organized. get to the point where we could organize. Not saying we didn't want to, but we just get to the point where legally we could. And I think when you talk about when you think about it like that, I don't think the game is over. I just, yeah, to ask you a point, yeah, we get pop right now. And so again, Calvin Hill Podcast, episode five, I gave you power. It is a mental health podcast about how can we let go of that savior complex, right, as teachers and just be in the present, right? And we're talking about gun violence, specifically losing students to gun violence and how just, how do we work around that? Because I can honestly tell you, I got into teaching because I was trying to help my kids. I got into teaching because... It was it was rampant in the area that I got asked to go in and not to say that it was just like the overall perspective. It was the majority, but there was a huge disparity that causes trauma and generational trauma that I thought as a teacher, I can go and be effective. But let's go ahead and talk about the external forces that we are trying to tackle and go against. Right. Jones says he thinks, you know, it's a landslide. It is. It, it, 
it is a landslide, but we we got heart. You know what I'm saying? And the clock is eternal, and we just got to re-strategize. But let's just quickly talk about the legal gun trade in the United States. So including in Michigan, Flint, and Saginaw, it is a, first of all, this is very complex, and this is not the podcast where we're going to have the solution to try to solve this. We really just kind of talk about what is it like to lose a student to gun violence? Like, what is that process like? You know, why might it happen? And we want to talk about some of the, the perpetuators. Like, who are the, whose fault is it, right? Is it the arms seller? Is it the person that, you know, introduced the people to the guns? Is it the gun user? Is it the, you know, the person that pulls the trigger, right? Is the person that listens to the violent music? Is it the media, you know? And, or is it us, right? Who, what in, in essence, we kind of perpetuate that mindset, that definite mindset of, oh, this is that, this and that. And if we're effective or not effective, we can be just as worse as that gun, right? And so let's just quickly, just quick, quickly talk about it. So this is multifaceted issue and it involves a variety of actors and factors, okay? The trade refers to buying and selling the distribution of firearms outside of legal channels. So when we think about the, just the firearm industry, Jones, how much money you think the firearm industry makes a year just give me a guesstimated guess uh in the in the hundreds of billions 500 billion yeah almost sure. a trillion dollars for sure, for sure. yeah you said yeah think about what all of it is like in terms of ammo in terms of the app and the actual artillery weaponry. yeah when you think about the it's even like it's fashion for it now like yeah you can get a gucci clip for your pistol you can mm. get your gun wrap in the louis vuitton logo Really? Yeah, those are things. Like, yeah, those are things. Like, it's a it's a fashion thing. Like, gold. Why do you need a gold plated gun? Why you need a diamond encrusted gun? All these things are real. And so, as I'm reading this, I just kind of want you to probably think about what is the personality of someone that might be maybe an arms dealer, someone that is just infatuated with firearms. I'm just really, I want you to really deconstruct that. So, as I continue, right? So, so legal channels in many states, including Michigan. We're in Detroit, Michigan. It is relatively easy for individuals to purchase firearm without undergoing thorough background checks. Now, is that true? Do you think that's true based off of just not just what you've heard? Like, do you, is Michigan tight on guns like it is New York or is it more lenient? I think, of course, I share a bias like the people that I may be surveying. Um, it's tougher, I think. Because you got to go through a lot of red tapes and bureaucracy to Interesting. Know, to be out here and be illegal. I'm a CPO holder, so I don't want to like I want to be transparent, right? Like, I I own. I was going to ask you that. I own guns, yeah, right. But I also I like to think of myself as somebody that's working to be a responsible gun owner, um, and I, I think that that's the next step. But I I think for other counterparts, maybe not so much. I remember taking my CPO course. And it was a young guy in there. He, um, young white man. Yeah. And he might have been eighteen. And he was like killing the target. I mean, nice with it. And I went with my homeboys, and we all rented guns because we were afraid to even have guns without thinking, you know, we had to have our CPLs. And interesting. His mindset already knew. Parent background was like, he had these guns. He bought these guns. He was like joking about it at the place. The guns were bought for him as like a 16th birthday present. So he's had these since he was 16, access to them since he was 16. Granted, he seemed like a nice young man, but I'm just thinking like at 16, yeah, I don't think my parents was buying me guns that I have access to them, allegedly. But I don't, they weren't going out of buying them. So it's just different 
you know. And when we're talking about education and going back to the figurative basketball game, right? We wanna we wanna be in a situation where the score is running up for us, right? We don't wanna be in a situation where we're constantly losing and feeling like what we're doing isn't not working. But when we have factors like gun violence, right, and and how that impacts us. That's that's just really, really uh, it could put a kink in our game. Right. So this has created a situation where legal guns can quickly and easily enter illegal markets. Right. And they can they can sell it for dirt cheap. Right. Or, you know, cheaper on the market uh, and they can resell it. Right. Or even uh, for free ones. Another factor contributing to illegal gun trade in Michigan is surrounding area of poverty and inequality. Right. Areas such as Flint, Saginaw, Detroit have long struggles with high rates of poverty, unemployment and other ac- economic challenges. This can drive individuals, unfortunately, to turn to illegal activity, including drugs, engaging in forms of criminal activity means making ends meet. In some cases, illegal guns may be used as a form of currency or bargaining chip in these criminal activities. For example, Drug dealers may trade guns for guns, drugs for guns, or vice versa, or a way to diversify their illicit holding and increase their profits. Unfortunately, the prevalence of illegal guns in these areas have contributed to high rates of gun violence and crime. In Detroit, for example, the city has long been known for high rates of violence, but that's not just the big picture. So I just want to preface that. Right. Okay. Just put an asterisk there, okay? In 2020, the city saw almost 500 uh, homicides, many of which were gun-related, okay? And so just hearing that, Jones, and, you know, coming from someone who's not from Detroit, right, and you hearing me read that, right, how do you feel? I think it's it's the truth. Um, I don't think, I think it's the truth. I think in there, there are some, moments and points that for sure just like probably deserve like you said an asterisk and some clarification I think that and you talked about it earlier you know thinking about proximity um, thinking about the opportunity to respectfully uh, resolve conflict then I think that there's not a lot of training opportunities here for young people to do that and then I also know too, like just the pressures of feeling like you gotta show and prove when somebody is, you know, taking you to that level, or somebody is trying to, uh, as you may feel like, threaten your life or threaten your manhood. Mm. And a lot of times it don't really be that. But I think that you have to ask yourself too, what do I value? And and sometimes I know that because I, I I ain't playing it. Like I ain't never threaten nobody like I ain't never told nobody or I ain't never been in situations where you know weapons were involved but I'm thankful to God that I've made it out of those situations every time I sit back and think about the situation I'm disappointed in myself because I'm like man none of that was really worth it at the end like especially if we talk about the three kind of you know pillars that usually get us there you know money yeah um, um, trying to own women like thinking I have ownership over a woman so saying like mm. that's mine she belonged to me when she belonged to herself so like those dis- you know domestic disagreements and I think also like when you met and confronted kind of with that like somebody trying to take your property and it's like I have a friend got his car um, his car was stolen recently and one of the things I told him and I was like challenged and checked on it by another brother was like, it's like, man, I would have, you know, X, Y, Z to that car. Somebody would have took off. And then his response was, bro, you would have been in jail. Right. No, it's like that. 
You're right. Right. <laughs> and it is like in the moment, seeing those things and hearing about it, and you know, you thinking about your family being vulnerable and you think about finding yourself in that vulnerable situation. You want to. Um, but I think that car is less than what I've my freedom is more. And being around for my girls is more. But I also think that, like, I, you know, I work very hard for that car. I work very hard for those things. So to the point of poverty, if I've had lost, generations have had lost, losing doesn't seem like the end of the world. But, like, when you've fought so hard for something and then somebody come want to take it, it's a devastating feeling. So you sometimes want to get even. And, and I think what society has showed us sometimes is, like, because gun violence, and I, like you said that about it not being an issue about Detroit, Gun violence is an American issue. Like yeah. it's statistics saying that, yeah, that get, we're the oh, oh yeah, yeah. So, so so yeah. Thanks for getting to that. So America, one million Americans have been shot in the past decade. Gun violence rates have risen. Um, in 2021, gun violence reached the highest level in at least 40 years, almost 50,000 deaths alone. 500 people die a day to gun violence, and we're on a record of almost 50,000 people dying a year. So. Going back to the teacher being a mediator, right? I guess can we make the assumption that maybe? Well, wait, wait. Who said the teacher was a mediator? I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying the 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 innocent teacher who wants to go in and be effective, right? We want to try to make sure kids are curbed not towards gun violence, but away from it. So we want to make sure we're there. We want to make sure putting them in internships. We want to make sure that we are, and this is not just in Detroit, this is anywhere, right? You, We want to make sure we're a positive mentor to kids so kids don't fall victim to the other mentors that are out there. Yeah. No, I like that. I like how you said that. You know what I mean? Right? So that's what I mean by mediator kind of saying that we're the solution and I'm, I'm putting us on that pedestal okay and i'm gonna do that okay i'm gonna put you on that pedestal now right what <laughs> like just hearing that right how many of you think those deaths are kids and teachers who lost kids yeah quite a few because when you go down to it everybody is somebody's teacher right or everybody is somebody's student might not necessarily be at your school but it might be at your bible class and I think, and I think a lot of it too is, you know, you we're you can't really send them nowhere, and they avoid gun violence because you think about it, they shooting them in churches, you think about it, they shooting them at internships. One of the things you know that you could be at your house sleeping, and they coming in as well. I think, kind of, I know what we're here to talk about, and not a solution. It's just thinking about, ah, oh, it's gonna sound so bad. It's gonna sound so bad. I challenge myself and I maybe come up with a different word at the end of the podcast. Um, but I. Uh, what? I expect trouble. I don't expect young people to die. That's not what I'm saying. So I don't I want to preface no, that. Talk about it. Right. But I, I expect. Yeah, I knew what I signed up for. And, and I understand that in some cases right now, those things may happen. And I think what we have to prepare ourselves for is how do you help young people trope through that? Because I think the next step is, and this is something that I learned actually in the active shooter training. And it was something about like the term was called uh, relational, relational like murders. So Johnny kill, Johnny kill, 
Jimmy, Joe killed Johnny. Mm-hmm. Joseph killed Joe. Cause Jane, you know what I'm saying? Right. It's gonna keep going. So really gotta get kids to the standpoint where yeah, you're gonna grieve, but then sometimes now this grief this grieving is anger. Like I, I feel I feel like I gotta go do something about it. Like I think let's let's go popular media yeah. to, to parallel the two. Imagine imagine like the trauma that a uh, a little Dirk may feel. Okay, let's talk about it. You losing a a a One, friend, two, three, four, a brother, five, six, seven, right? You losing a brother, brothers, and everywhere you go on the internet, people just like slide for him. You got to slide for him. You got to slide for or him. The opposite. Three hundred days and you ain't slid yet. Or right? the What's opposite, the... like enticing, like you ain't shit. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Messing with the enemies. Correct. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's like. If he continues to live his life, which Dirk, if you watching the Calvin Nellum podcast, I, you know what I'm saying? Continue to live your life, bro. Don't feel like you got to get no get back for that. And he said something on one of the songs I like yeah. from a Detroit artist. It's messed up that I'd rather get revenge instead of millions. And he understand that it's a battle mm. that he's dealing with. That's His true. main thing that he was talking about when he was in poverty and was already losing homeboys, that he was rapping, he was trying to showcase where they was at so he wouldn't continue to lose said individuals. Right. Now you find yourself in a position in where position. you have those things. Yeah. You're still losing and those still individuals. Not the but it's still not. That because money does not solve. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but the people, but the worse. people, but the people too as well though. Because it's not necessarily I'm saying like the money. The money might be a way, but I think also just like the people that say you did something to me. How many times did I know in, in, in this like one of the probably the most misquoted scriptures of the Bible is an eye for an eye. Mm. What's the second part of? It? Tell me. You know, if we talking about eye, church. Then, uh, we need to work on that. I know. <laughs> and eye for eye, and this might be not be the exact interpretation of it, but it essentially is going to the point of saying that like an eye for eye, it's going to leave people blind. Eye for eye, two for two, things is going to happen mm. where everybody is going to be without. And nobody will have. And I think that what's no, happening now. Someone will have. How? The person that is orchestrating it, the 10%. The people who are making everyone fight while we make they make money. But I but I think but I think even I think even in that that there will be a time where that becomes so much of a thing because I mean, yeah, with Russia and the United States, how we have the most guns, the most nuclear stockpile. But if we go to war, well, that's it. That's we need to find yeah, that, that's that's when we go into the gates. That's when we go to the exactly. gates. That's the extreme right. extreme. Right. But I'm talking about from the standpoint of they losing money. Like, think about what has to happen when, yeah. what thinks about what has to happen when the FedEx, when there's a shooting in a FedEx. Think about what has to happen when there's a shooting at an Amazon facility, a Walmart facility. They lose money. I know it's not at the amount that they're making it, but I'm saying eventually those things will become to a point where nobody's going to be able to do anything because it's just going to be so wild here. Like, it's real, already wild. And I get it. Real real drug dealers, real street cats don't want violence. Mm. Why? Mess up the business. Mess up the business. Right. Violence brings noise. Violence brings police. Attention. Violence brings attention. Eyes unnecessary media that I don't want. So I agree 
But it's also from a standpoint of like, nobody is going to get to a point where nobody has anything. Because if we're killing the workers, like the kids are dying, what we're talking about here, yeah. the kids are dying at an exponential rate. Yes. Or being locked up at an even more, probably right. more astounding I'm rate. taking penitentiary chances. Yeah, bro. But it's like, it's everything. Like, it's a long time. There's something in the South. What was it, you know, when you were punished in the South, older grandma, somebody like that, what she send you outside to get? Switch. Switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember hearing that in a rap song. I'm like, they whooping kids? What? Tree limbs again? Like, that's bad? Not understanding, to my ignorance, they putting, you know, they putting these little chips, these little, you know, you know, essentially, you know, like a particle. I ain't going to go into mm-hmm. what it is for kids that's watching this. But it's taking these 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 guns that's already harmful and it's just changing the rate. Why in the helibus is there even a hundred round magazine available? On Humble Street. Why? Why? But but, but but how did it even get there? Right? Like what did it how many hands did it take for how that was America how was America built? I mean off of violence. Right? You know? We got here. So so real quick, so let's talk about the song, right? So the uh we said, How you like me now? I made every ghetto foul, right? I might have took your first child, scarred your life, crippled your style, I gave you power, I made you buck wild. Right? Yeah. All of that trauma yeah. came from something that wasn't even produced here. Wasn't even probably made here. Yeah. And it caused all that generational trauma. How fair is that to that family? How fair is it that to that? Listen, bro, I've lost three kids to gun violence, right? And I cannot lie and tell you that when they died and I found out, I did not kind of like internalize that a little bit because I was their teacher at one point. So like internalize like what? Like feeling it's your fault? Yes. Why? Because like I left the school during the middle of the year, right? So it was kind of like abruptly, you know, because it just wasn't a great situation because the system itself wasn't. It wasn't it wasn't good for me to be at, you know, and I remember when the first one passed. It was the first time I ever experienced that. You know what I'm saying? It was like. Everything, every good thing that I can remember that that kid like like I witnessed, it all got elevated and I got even more sad. And I just like this is just a kid. I remember talking to some of my kids and hearing how like they have to carry a piece just so they can cross the street. So they, you know what I'm saying? Because it's a certain type of, yeah. That, you know but that's, I mean? but that's, you know, but that's Friday. Gun charge, yeah. Because of that, right? You know, and so like just having those dynamics right there, I just kind of felt like, I don't know. I just felt, I just felt like it was. Uh, I felt depressed, really. Yeah. I really felt depressed. So, so one thing you said as we was getting on is like just a challenge to you people. So. One thing my wife told me, and I and I hold true to this, is like after a bad week and I came home, the kids was like fighting. And like my first year of being in culture, we had one of the first school brawls in history. I'm probably, you know, shout out to some people that came before me that did great jobs with this role. But I know like just through history and time and I like not to my own horn, I'm probably the one of the most liked people in said role right now. Yeah. I, I thought that because the kids like me, because the kids rock with me, because the kids know that I was there for them, I thought they weren't going to fight. 
I thought they weren't going to be disrespectful. Shame on me. Wow. Right? And I came home, internalized it, and one thing she said to me that I'm giving to you is, if you internalize and you say to yourself that you're responsible for that thing, that is the same equivalent of a principal, right? Yeah. Internalizing kids not getting all A's. Interesting. What do you put yourself in a situation? Like, whose fault is it? Is it that ninth grade teacher's fault when said student who's at a third grade reading level fails ninth grade English? It's part. Okay. Parts, so, but right. not the whole piece. And, and and when you go down into parts, like you a math man, you a science man. Small percentage. <laughs> small percentage. when you go down to like... But as teachers time. though, Jones, we make that percentage way bigger than what it is, bro, because we the only one doing the work, Jones. You know that. We the only one that's like in there and not just the only ones like us, right? Yeah. But we the only ones that get it, right? Because motherfuckers can give us money. Motherfuckers can say, you know, do this, but they cannot go in there and teach that class. Yeah. And 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 then and yeah. But why can't they? Because they don't understand how the kids are. They don't understand the relationship. They don't understand the dynamics. They don't know how to mediate. They don't understand how to take something that's polarized it and bring it down and still bring it back up and then bring it back down, right? Like we are literally these are our kids. We're with these kids more than with their parents. Yeah. See, so and then even even bringing it back we though. Lose them? But 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 to something that we definitely had no control over, and all and that say that say that again though say that again. We definitely had no control over. Yeah, that. did you did you took did you do? Why did you invest? Why did you invest the because time? Because I wanted to help my people. And did you do that? I don't know. And that's why the depression. That's why the internalization comes in, right? And definitely, like I can, like you know. But it's when it when so and and just like it's just kind of like how it happened too. Yeah, it was like. Yeah, just like yeah, yeah, and I understand you won't go into the details just for like, but you know what I mean? Okay, so and then I have kids who I still talk to right now who are fine, but then I worry about, you know what I'm saying? But even think about what you're saying right now. You could have moment happen, you feel depressed, you go into your pocket and you don't do anything about it. You one said you still keep in contact with these kids. That's a push for you two. You uplifting the issue right now. So that other teachers understand that there is more possibly that we can do. There is more possibly that we can manage to make sure that our kids aren't going towards those other influences. Yeah. But ultimately, bro, kids will be in a situation that could be the best thing for them. I'm a, I'm a, not putting this black man on street on front, but it's just like the phenomenon right now. The the Ja Morant kind of oh, talking about um yeah so what happened with um so so everybody oh, uh, and this is what we were saying earlier so ja when you when you think about you played on uh, YouTube no 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 because we don't want we we want to make sure that that source we getting in from okay. is reputable I feel you not um, I like Ja Morant I yeah and I do too I think I that the, I think but it's also like, like some influences some influences. My brother plays. Yeah, it's basically like eight miles. So it's essentially that. Like, bro, you coming from a good pair of households. You not no thug. You not no street dude. Why are you playing it this way? But think about how many people probably in this ear calling themselves. 
how many people were saying you know what I'm saying that he he is less than so him, so him feeling like or even even less than you you have this money you have these opportunities people created these things for you and I don't necessarily see I don't see I you know like I I don't know I don't know who okay I think about I would expect the kind of antics that we're seeing from John Morant allegedly to be the things that I see from uh the the Demetrius Flannery Jr. Who's that? Lil Meech from BMF, who is the son of said of Big Meech, right? Might have grew up in these things, might still be directly involved in it clear that a father was out of the household because it's like public documentation but it's just like from those things I, he makes some weird decisions as all human beings do but it's like nobody is overly trying to say like I'm a millionaire and I'm gonna it's stories out there like he pulling up on malls because his mama you know what I'm saying fighting with the lady at foot at foot action uh, John Morant John Morant is it true that like his dude like points like, that's true. It's all out there. Why are these stories even out here in the first place, right? And some of, and then you think about the court situation. That you know how you see things, and it's like certain things happen, and then when you hear about other things in the past, you're like, oh, that adds up to make sense of that. When he, when Shannon Sharp got into it, oh yeah, 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 okay, oh, oh, oh. and just kind of like his reaction, like, bro, this your daddy. I, if I've seen my dad throw hands. My dad got him. He's straight. One-on-one, I'm going to sit to the side and make sure ain't nobody getting in the way so he can handle his ones, right? I'm not finna run like we finna jump nobody as a, as a, um, as a, you know what I'm saying, a CPL holder. I don't even play like that. I'm not finna go reach for my gun because I see a fight happening. But that's also, I've seen that where somebody clutch a pistol because they just trying to clutch a pistol and that's the last time they clutch a pistol, Right? As as teachers, we play a percentage in the role. But for the teachers out there, I don't want you to internalize that this is like something that we are directly responsible for. I have a young man that talking about losing students to gun violence. Student was at our school. We had a policy at the time. One of the main things, the main reason that I drove to change those policies in this role, where if a student received a certain amount of culture points or demerits, they had to leave our school kind of like system. The pocket that we are in Detroit is there not a ton of schools, as you're talking about, that are giving students the knowledge and resources that they need that aren't at a bigger size. Yeah. Where like it's thousands of kids there where you can run the risk of getting lost in the sauce or lost in the sauce. Right. Or where you have to have some special interest or be extremely, um, academic focus throughout your whole time to get into some of these kind of more prestigious individuals. We have a school population that can service both, right? You can be at the cream of the crop, but you also can be somebody that want to work to get better and may not have it all figured out right now. When we find students who are middle of the road, most of the time when they have to leave our building, they're going to digress. Interesting. And that's not always what we want. But that's the reality. So we put this young man out who had the demerit numbers, right? 
but also was an honor roll student. Had one of the top test scores for his grade level prior to yeah. leaving. Yeah. Went to another high school, got into some run-ins with other people in the neighborhood because now he's not in the neighborhood that he lives in. He's in a different neighborhood, right? Have to deal with those realities. And the same year that his classmates at our school was supposed to be graduating, which is his year, right before graduation, you know, they coming in with, you know, RRP shirts. And we like, you know, we shot. We shot. We sitting there like, what? Like, when when this find out, when this happened? And it's again, that same feeling that you have right now. I felt that. Like, man, I let this kid down because I let him get put out. It was the policy. It was the system. I wasn't in charge of that policy or that system that got that young man removed, right? But now what do I actively do? I have to use his story. I have to use that journey to help the next young man because we got a group of them now that's at the school that they right there, they teetering. And I'm telling them, bro, you going down the street, school down the street, it's not going to be successful for you. And if you find yourself there and you don't go to a school, what are you going to do? And if you don't find a path, these are the things that can happen to you. And I think that that's a story that they hear often, but it's a story that as teachers, we have to make sure that we reiterate, but then also advocate when we have to know the difference between holding a student at a time or releasing them when it's, you know, the right time. Yeah. Because what do you do if a young person, let's say, let's flip the story, right? Let's just talk about another, another instant. Let's say it's a situation where young man is young person is creating violence or creating chaos or creating a unsafe learning environment for the other people there. Right. What does he supposed to do? Right. We've tried the alternatives. Give me an alternative that's out there. We've tried it. Right. Put those things out there. And now this one person is impacting the learning of the hundred of the four hundred. But then they go out and something happens. Life happens. Yeah, life happens. Life happens. They no longer here. But in that same vein, student that they used to pick on every day in class now is on the honor roll. That's your fault too? It's tough. It's a tough so thing. Like, go let's, ahead. Let's talk it. about it, bro. So, like, so how do we get out of this... <clears throat> Cause I feel like the answer is we have to get out of the savior complex so we can recognize what's in our locus of control. Yeah. And I'm saying all teachers are in the I'm savior complex, as you're you know, and, and, you know, and, um, and pretty much is it, so is it that we are saviors because is it, is it because of power maybe, or the lack of power or the feeling that if we help these kids, so this is what happens, bro. We get a lot of people that come because we're in a privileged situation because not privileged, but we're in a special situation because everybody that's teaching like we do, do not have to deal with the similar disparities like we do, but they deal with other ones, right? Not saying they are better or not, I but it's different. I challenge that. It's different. Yeah. Because they got drugs. Kids, they may have. Doing breezes, right. But it's exactly. Exactly. Right. It's just a different. It's different problem just the same degree right so where <clears throat> excuse me so I, i'll tell you a quick story 
So I have a brother. My brother was incarcerated at a really early age, dropped out of high school in ninth grade, but, you know, didn't have a dad in his life, but he had a pretty good upbringing. You know what I'm saying? Grew up in a suburb. So like had like a decent upbringing, didn't have to, you know, and I'm saying the suburbs is always decent. It's not, but I'm just saying like, you don't, he, he had every chance to do what he needed to do. He was really good at football, basketball, did everything he needed to do. Long story less long, you know, my brother got into gains, ended up getting a shot multiple times, in and out of the house, just was never there. And I remember one time, I would always go in his room a lot because there would be like a, you know, I missed him type moment, you yeah. know? I always be in his room. I remember one time, I found this little bitty gold thing. Mm-hmm. And it was shiny. It was a bullet. Okay. <laughs> and I kid you not, I felt some type of like, like I didn't want to drop it. I was like, you know, it was like power. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I wanted to be my brother badly. So much. My mom had to be a helicopter mom. My mom had to keep me from him. He literally took, took me from him. I'm a teacher because of my brother, because of the type of person my brother was and the mistakes he made. I pushed myself to let kids know, like there is different routes. And it could be in a worse situation and you still can make it happen. And you can have the best situation and you can still mess it up. You know what I'm saying? So you have to take advantage. And not you and not always you. I think it's sometimes just put it on the fact that like things happen. But but real quick, what is that? What is that infatuation with that power of wanting to be in the streets, that power of wanting to have power so I can flaunt it to feel powerful? Right. Because you're talking about the gun violence. Right. And settling issues. Right. We was listening to the juvenile song and we yeah. were, we were talking about how he's settling bees. I am thinking he's selling bees just for piecing up the diplomacy. You saying not. Nah, it's I got to get you out of here. Yeah. Why does it have this to be the lyrics? This, the, the, the lyrics say, uh, I bet you I get them niggas off your block. How you gonna get them off? You think if you think if I tell you to leave. Right. You're not gonna come back. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is how powerless are our people to the point where they have to take other people's lives to feel powerful. And how can yeah, yeah, let's start with that. I, I challenge just I, I the thing I'll say is just like I'm big on like slashes. Power slash like safety. Power slash like stability. I think that you come into this world and people are telling you what to do, Watch like it's your parent. Any have to deal with that type of situation. Any teenagers have to deal with that type of degree of trauma and decision making. Systematic, bro. Systematic. Like I think that at twelve years old, bro, it's certain things that you had to deal with. It's not necessarily violence related. That people that people would just be awed by, awed by. My little nephew. Um, my little nephew had asked a question like, was was I going, just like a question like, you going to leave us at, at the crib? And I'm like, bro, you such and such age. And I had to think about how he probably has never been left at home. Like, because he's in a different type of household. Both parents around. Situation where he's not used to nobody not. That was a reality for my mom as a young mother where I had to understand that statute of limitations up. I had to understand that if she wasn't able to go to work, we didn't eat. <laughs> right. So it was times that I had to be alone. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that's a reality that sometimes not everybody wants to deal with. And I think to the power, question you asked about the power, getting to that. Everybody wants to 
feel like something like that's a that's a human nature thing mm. everybody wants to be loved everybody wants to feel worth something a lot of times people find their self-worth in other things so you disrespecting my shoes no matter to me i got self-worth you disrespecting my jay-z 444 please don't die over the neighborhood where your mama written Please don't die over the neighborhood that your mama rent. We don't have nothing else. He just told you that we renting. Just told you we in an impoverished neighborhood, but that's all I have. And that's where the values are. That's where my values are. That's where my yeah. So I, I so people will do what it takes to respect they you know to to protect their values. Like I always used to think it was so strange when you go to churches, bro. Like go to churches where it's a high profile uh, pastor. How many people are you think in their strap? Okay, I've never been asked this question before. Okay, ask me again. I've never been asked this question before. Okay, let's get it. Let's see and, if I get and, it right. And, and, and <laughs> at, a, at, a, at a church, at a church like a uh, let's go, let's go, draw Olds, let's go, draw Olstein, let's go, draw Olstein. How many people you think they're strapped? Oh my gosh, at least ten. That's under one. It's in Texas, <laughs> so you probably, but for sure. Everybody on his deacon staff probably got a pistol on them. What do you think the headset's for? You're not just communicating about the tithes and the offering coming through. It's a protection piece, right? Yeah. Because some of them may be in there as like undercover officers that still coming to praise the, the Lord that day. Yeah. You come in there messing with Joel, they're going to lay you down. But the book that we follow and say that God's supposed to take care of that. But I'm going to meet you before he do. So, you know what I'm saying? Faith yeah, without work man. is dead. That's how they're looking at it. Yeah. Because they have value for him. They have value for him. Sometimes when we go into situations and we dealing with other individuals, I don't see value in you. I see value. I see that you're trying to take away from my value. So, because I don't see value in you, I'm going to remove you. And and I think that the mm-hmm. power piece comes into, like, nobody wants to feel vulnerable, but that's part of the issue. You talked about it. And I heard you on your last podcast. Talked about when you went home to see your uh, for for uh, a home going service, and just was saying that individuals want crying, individuals want showing vulnerability. I've had people say things about me. I'm very good at talking trash. Like I, I consider myself one of the top, yes, like yes, you know what I'm saying, uh, trash talkers in the game. So that helped me build tough skin to when somebody say things about like my hair or somebody say things about my teeth or somebody say things about my weight. I'm just talking about things that like used to bother me in the past. I know I now know that I'm beautiful. Like I now know that like beauty comes in many shapes and sizes. I also know that like ugly is a state of being like, are you acting ugly? Right. Are you performing in an ugly way? Is your heart uh, maneuvering with ugly intent? But I don't necessarily feel like people are ugly, right? Because people have beautiful things about them to the point and not making it longer. To the point no, of you saying, looking, to the point of saying, if I'm not in touch enough to know that when those things happen or when those wrongs happen to me, that I can go back from those and still say, all right, that was a good joke for sure. Even like, you know, I got to find value. You know what I'm saying? 
it's my value and my freedom and being here to protect my family and I'm going to deal with you in maybe a more diplomatic way? Mm-hmm. Or is it instantly saying that I'm going to let you trick me off the streets and I'm going to lay you down because you disrespected me and now I'm behind the... You know, I'm behind the wall. And I think all of it is kind of perpetuated to that. I think that you never see in media today, you never see opportunities where men sit down and talk, go back to the Shannon Sharp thing that we was talking about. They got together offline and hashed that out. But black kids didn't see that. They didn't see that hashing out. So now all they know is that they they fought. Okay. All right. So it's just like you got to be able to have a little bit of both, and I think that that's the point. You don't hear a lot of rap songs about. Um, I'm, I'm a I'm a music head. I'm a DJ. Yeah. Camera has a song, and it's like one of my favorite songs. And the lyrics say, "He tried he tried to play me." Um, it's like so I blew out his brains. Um, I put up on him and put my Mac out. Like, all of these things. But it's simply over, like, he tried to play me. What does that mean? He's trying to talk funny to me. Yeah. He's trying to joke. Mano allegedly choking out this YouTuber because he, you know, making jokes online, aggressive, you know, violent-esque commentary. But what does that really, what does that really say? Like, what does that really do in the long term when we talking about where I'm going, I'm not going to let somebody trick me. I keep using that term. I'm not going to let somebody trick me off the streets. And I think a lot of times people saying that it's worth it for me. And I and I think that that's where the disconnect comes from. And I love what you talked about when you said Shannon and Jaw, they didn't hash it out in front. Yeah. So then... The Got into it right. in public, but didn't, you know, clean it up afterwards. Right. So yeah. The physical altercation probably clouded over that. And I'll remember is that, right? Yeah. So going back to, I'm going to play this video. So let's, let me play this video. Brittany Griner has been held by Russia for 140 days. The White House says it is doing everything to bring her home safely. Tonight, some are wondering if everything could mean a prisoner swap. And the lawyer for one of the world's most notorious arms dealers wants to make a deal tonight. Brittany Griner, an American, Paul Whelan, also an American in exchange for his client, known as the Merchant of Death, Victor Boot is his name. He is a former Soviet military officer who made a fortune off of trafficking weapons around the world, many of them to enemies who want to kill Americans. He is now serving 25 years in federal prison here in the United States. The State Department has not... So make a long story less long. This is the brother. This is the guy who sold uh, arms to the Taliban. Okay. Okay. And he is... He has a movie literally named after him. It's called uh, War of Gods with Nicolas Cage and essentially it just talks about how the trillion dollar gun business, right? You have legal and you have legal guns and you have these say quote unquote, uh, oligarchs, right? Say maybe in Africa or in the middle East and they want to say overthrow the government. They go to these arm dealers and they buy these guns cheap. You know what I'm saying? And they overthrow the government. They start a coup. You understand what I mean? And there's so many different examples of these people funding these little paramilitaries in the, all these other countries, third world countries or fourth world countries or second world countries. And it's, it's happening here too. And this is the guy we traded Brittany Griner for. 
And not saying Britney's not supposed to be home, right? But just saying, like... Did it different type of crimes? Talking about a vape pen versus somebody that is like a war criminal. And so, who fault it is? So, they'll come on the podcast segment, who fault it is, right? So, who fault it is when we're talking about gun violence? Is it the, this guy, right, who's literally the arms seller? Is it the people who go out in the market and try to get the guns? Yeah. Is it the gang leader who gets the guns, right? And I'm trying to think about why would a gang need, need to get guns, but you talked about it earlier, right? Protection or, to, you know what I'm saying? Or is it the gun user, the person that pulls the trigger? Or is it a person that makes the, the rap music that is, and I'm not trying to classify rap in this whole rock, rap, not that, yeah. but there is a segment of rap music that's violent. That's violent. Yeah. And it can promote it. Same for country, though. Exactly. Right. Toxicity. Promote yeah. Toxicity, right? Or, American music has violent tendencies. Or is it us as Americans who love violence, right? Who love the fact that yeah, we, we, so we, we watch that. we watch wrestling. We watch boxing. We, we, you know, football, you know, one of the most gory and kind of like sports on this planet. Yeah. I think those are things that we pay for, like in masses. Like when you talk about, there's probably more money that goes into the National Football League than, you know, um, yeah, like some cities and yeah. in, 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 in other in other places. And I think um, it, it, it's from a standpoint. The my answer about who fought is to not cop out and say it's no one's fault. Um, I think it's all of those things. I think that. Violence plays into it like it's a cake. It's a cake. It's a shitty one. It's nasty. It's disgusting, but it's a cake. So you don't think it's ingredients. It's not just like one thing. Flour doesn't make a cake. Eggs doesn't make a cake. Sugar doesn't make a cake. It's a cake. Interesting. So so feeling like in in this cake has layers. This cake has icing. This cake has yeah all of that because it's it's about all of those things. If I wasn't impoverished, I would have more value for myself. Why am I impoverished? It's that far. If I wasn't uh, uneducated, I would know better. Why am I uneducated? It's that far. You know what I'm saying? So, I, yeah, the blame game, I don't think is important. I think going back to the, and then I know you're not blaming folks, but I'm yeah. saying that like whose fault isn't of importance because it's there. Uh, and this is, I'm an analogies guy. Yeah, it is there. You you go you go to you pull up you know what I'm saying both of us are homeowners so I'm just gonna knock on knock on wood but you pull up and your house is on fire right what's the first question you ask what's the fire extinguisher yes uh-huh. well, how do I get water how do I get water is it, right? somebody called the fire department how are we gonna stop this you don't go to and you don't say whose fault is this what happens. <laughs> You know Because if right. you go that route, he's going to burn down. I think <laughs> exactly. you have to say it from a standpoint of just being like, it's happening right now. Getting to whose fault it is, I think it's like a bigger issue because it's, it's happening. I think that the people might, you need to know whose fault it is so you know how to correct it. Yeah, mm. but fire is fire. I don't really need to know how to, it, you know, I, I know what I need to do to get it out. And I think that we know what we need to do, but I just think that a lot of times what happens, and this is like society's problem, is that Everybody knows what things need to be done, but it's going to cut your civil liberties. And when you get to cut into other people's civil liberties, it's like, ah, oh, well, that's their problem. 
And, and then you you move on. And so I got this article. It's called The Gun Industry America, the overlooked player in the national crisis, right? And so this is like we've had at least 20 mass shootings in the last three months, right? And who's complicit? And going back to whose fault, right? The national debate over gun violence rarely focuses attention on the role of the gun industry that is literally enabling this public health crisis. I agree with that. But... Same thing. I was just having a conversation with a, uh, just having a conversation offline, just with a, a group, and it was something that came up, and they were like, uh, "This person did this to another individual, and they didn't know." And then I just wanted to get context, and I was just like, "Wait, are you saying that they forced this individual to do said thing?" And they were like, "No, I'm not really forced them, but they didn't tell them what it was, and they took it." I said, "So they made a bad decision based off the information they was given." And it was like, yeah. I was like, well, yeah, it's that person's fault. But also, that individual got to, you know, tighten up too. Yeah, for sure. The gun industry may be it. It may be the problem. But we also know we got some other shit that we need to tighten up on. Because it'll be something else. If we find a way, magic wand, to remove all guns, we'll just have a society of more like drug users than what we have now. Because I can't cope or express why what you did bothered me. So I have to take your life to make you feel it. But now if I can't take your life to make you feel it, I'm going to inflict that pain on who? Myself. So I'm going to be doing things, self-medicating, doing other things that's going to be more harmful to myself. And then you'll have another issue. America has an issue. Society has an issue of, of, of like, I want to say ownership. Society has an issue of like accountability. Society has an issue right. of um, it's like going to the basketball analogy. Like we playing too much defense, yeah. and then we're not scoring. We're not scoring. Like we playing defense, and then we turning it over. So like we getting steals, but then running around, you turning it over. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, man. It's 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 a it's a mixture. It's a mixture of of those things, and I think that. Guns is the thing that's in front of us right now, but shit, we ain't also talking about. I was listening to Kendrick. We're also not talking about like we killing ourselves with food, yeah. probably at uh, a similar rate. We killing ourselves with drugs, probably at a similar rate. Killing ourselves with alcohol, probably at a similar rate. I'm a, a big brother. Um, he has a line that's really, really powerful. My dad has had, like, my dad has had, uh, he talks about it. My dad has had, like, heart attacks. And my dad is, like, my Superman. Like, you know, I ain't afraid to say that as, like, a grown man. I really look up to my dad, and I think, like, he's a great man. And I, like, remember playing basketball with my dad, like, when we got a relationship. I remember even having to go back in the backyard, you know what I'm saying? Get that testosterone out with my dad. And it was always, like, a respect thing. And I just was like, man, my dad's Superman. No, yeah, like my family, yeah, all of that. But that's where you got that, that grit from, huh? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like, no, I'm, I, I didn't, I didn't uh, drew blood playing with both of my fathers for real, hooping. Like, yeah, and I'm, Makes they sense. own that. But Makes sense. when he had his issues with like his heart, it really like just took me back, saying like, man, he really can be, you know, he not invincible. Right. And then one of, one of the lines stood out to me when he was like, um. We buried my father, but then at the repast served the same food that killed him. 
Who responsible for that? Who responsible for that? Because I got to go all the way out to get vegan chicken, and then you telling me something wrong with the soy, too. So, (laughs) so, yeah. So, for the teacher, then, we need to do what for them to help them understand that? What? You got to keep refilling your... I think that every message that you got to get to at the end of this podcast, and it might just be, like, repetitive to that point, and that's what I kind of... I take from it is teachers have to find a way to continue to refill their well. Yeah. I think that there's going to be things that pull from your well. And I think in drastic situations where we're talking about you losing your kids to gun violence or violence in general, that's going to be a big pour from your well. So what are you doing to replenish and not diminishing the, the, the three lives that four lives that we seen here talking about this been lost, right? We ain't said nothing about the, uh, you know, robotic robotics program that you've been able to start from the ground up that's gotten more kids into STEM. Not talking about your work with your, you know, summer programs that's getting kids more involved in music, but then also using that towards their education. Yeah. Not talking about our, our, our nonprofits that's giving, you know what I'm saying? My nonprofit that's giving kids financial, you know what I'm saying? Right. Freedom. That's, that's 40 kids that we've saved. Yeah, man. Right now, not in the savior complex, going back to that. That's, you know, that's a bigger issue. So it might be part two to that. Yeah, man. But that's 40 kids that we've helped. I like your term going to a different influence. Yeah, the three, they hurt. But if we talk in numbers, you're, you've proven your worth. Interesting. You've proven that, you know, you have value. And I just think like just like you were a seed that helped those 40 kids that we speaking about get to the next level. Your interaction was just a seed mm. that could have, you know, went towards where, you know, we talking about these deaths and it's not saying that that seed is one way or another. A lot of times we look at seeds and we look at sometimes and we look at what we poured into a person and we say, we think that, what we've poured into that person goes into the ground with them. How many words of wisdom did you pass on to those young people that now you and the homies that y'all still talking about, that you still have interaction with, y'all able to still bond on that. That's an opportunity for that seed to still grow. How many times that you still going to be involved? You might reach out to his mama, might reach out to the parents and say, Hey, just thinking about y'all today. Yeah. And they're like, man, Mr. Nellum, I'm glad you reached out to me. I got a young person that can need some, you know, support on tutoring. Now what you poured into that young person is still flourishing out. I think that we got to stop thinking. So just like, linear. yeah, we got to start thinking so linear. Just like it's at that one moment. Things that my teachers told me in high school, some of it Love didn't that. click in until like right now. Yeah. And they probably was somewhere like, wow. damn, what I tried Lots to get him. Teachers, yeah, like my so I'm in a I'm in a group, huh? Nothing. I was gonna I'm shout in, him out, but whatever. Oh yeah, no, no, I got a shout out, shout out. Shout out to um shout out to Miss Davis, hey, my my uh Davis. high school English teacher. Oh, wow. Shout out to my high school uh science teacher, Miss Lee. Hey. Miss Lee gave me a super hard time, but Miss Lee had expectations for me. Wow. And at the time, That's I wasn't cool. trying to. And then Miss Davis too, like had expectations for me. Yes, I had a dean, Dean Williams. He probably don't even know I existed beyond like when I used to come into his office, and I used to always be like, "Bro, talking some BS." Mm-hmm. 
I used to hear some of those things when I got into college. Bro, he was telling the truth. So shout out to him. Like, wow. even I know when I graduated, my relationship with him was different. I got teachers that I know, like, you know, it was like, and at Delonte, my best friend is my best friend. My brother, we've been brothers since middle school. And there's people that see him and they like uh see him out and they probably ain't seen him in 15 years. And the first thing they ask is like, how do I say doing? Are you still talk to that line? And I know when they saying it and I tell him, I'm like, bro, when they saying that to you, they expecting you to be like, no, nah, he did. Oh, because that's the path that I was on. Wow. They expecting him to be like, no, nah, he locked up. Wow. It blew him when he like, yeah, he an educator. Or I yeah. run into them at different places. And they really? like, you used to be my high school principal is in our building. She's one of the people in our building. She's his like faculty coach. So she seen me and she was like, Delonte, I'm like, I'm like such and such. Yes. I'm like, yes. And she like, you do it. I'm like, so now. Wow. Yeah. I'm I'm not saying I because she would she definitely was supportive. I have a similar story. But too. just the BS that I was on, I know for sure that she was like, you know, like, oh. It's, and and then imagine she probably thought that that seed that she planted in me didn't hatch either. It's hatching now. And she, I know she was like full of just happiness. She's she so happy when she see me, like smiling ear to ear. And wow, at first, I used to think it was so strange, but I get it now. Like as we having this conversation, because even for her, twofold, right? Same football team, same kids she helped graduate, right? Two of those young men on that team are multi-time Super Bowl champions. Right. Two more of them didn't make it past their 31st birthday. It comes with the territory. It comes with the territory. Yeah, man. And you teachers out there, I just want you all to understand, like, it comes with the territory. Yeah. You taught. And that don't mean accept it. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying accept it. Right. But we're saying just understand that it comes with the territory and you got to keep your will full in order to pivot when those things happen. I think, like, people tell you to work out and they tell you to eat healthy and you think that they're trying to control you for the moment. Mm. But as I'm growing up and I'm seeing more, you know why all the people talking about their back, their hips, their knees, their feet? It's because they didn't work out. Yep. They didn't take care of themselves when they was, you know what I'm saying, back then, and they had the opportunity to. I was about inflammation and acid. Yes, you are going to have opportunities. You are going to have things that come into your life that's going to take away from your storehouse, from what you stored up. Interesting. You ain't store shit up. You in for some hardship. But I think the more that you try to store into yourself and find those positive things, don't you get the you 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 go to the funeral and you go get the RIP. You know what I'm saying? You get the obituary. For every obituary, put a graduation picture up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? For for every student loss, find you a student owner that you can celebrate. Okay. It's balance. Amen. And what you're going to find is every month, pick one. I'm going to celebrate a death or a, 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 a triumph of a student. Put it on my board. You're going to find that sometimes those deaths come fewer and farther between than the celebrations. Oh, yeah. But sure. we so infatuated as a society with the death that we put so much emphasis on it. When yeah, for, yeah. for sure kids die, and you don't never want that to happen, but I think that there's more opportunities of kids coming and building the next great things that we should spend more time focusing on 
to fill your well up for when those moments, you know, do happen. So last question, you know, and, you know, I want you to, you know, you know, take your time. So I know you've lost, you know, people that's very close to you, um, you know, people that you consider, you know, just family, your brother, you know, unexpected, right? Um, You know, just like what advice would you give to people with grieving, you know, and how to just kind of start that process, right? And, you know, maybe maybe tell a story about just the journey of that and just where you're at right now. If you if you have it like if you yeah if you no tell, you know, I I think relate. I think one of the things I think for me that the process is you start it like I was trying to be cliche and be like you don't you don't start grieving because if you start it it says that it has to finish that's a fact that I'm trying to get to but you do have to start the process. But the process is not started with the expectation to be okay, Mm. with the expectation to be fine, because that's not life. You'll start the process. You'll grieve. You may feel better for a moment, but it's just like even in you and you didn't know it. You didn't know it. Like the homeboy that we speaking of that I lost unexpectedly and was like a big kind of triumph, especially in a time where our relationship was developing as brothers. That album, that No Worries album that we would listen to as we were like getting everything set up. Song on there, Scared Money is one of his like one of his favorite songs. So I hear it. And then sometimes that song still makes me sad. But it's other times where I'm out and I'm turning up. We went to L.A. for like our mutual brother's bachelor party. And we felt them all around us. We randomly in the car. L.A. Nobody, you know what I'm saying? MP3, nothing. Song come on. Everybody just set. You know what I'm saying? Breeze hit you. Everybody just set. So it's in two folds. In some moments, that song will make me cry. In other moments, that song is like in, on my, on, it's the wind beneath my wings, right? It's the thing that propels me and pushes me forward. That's grief. It's the balance. It's understanding that there will be both. You won't get over losing somebody that's important to you. But every day you'll learn how to like deal with it a little differently. And I think that you'll be in a position to tell this story for the next person. I have to learn how to grieve in an effective way because I know that there'll be a time where like people around me will need to grieve. And if I'm not in a position to like grieve, I won't be able to help them. And it's not saying that I have to help them, but I think that it's just being in a position to understand that like it's an ongoing process. I'll miss him to the day that I'm gone. Right. And then I even miss him then until I find him on the other side with a bottle of yak because I know they're going to let us have some yak in heaven. It's like, (laughs) it's going to be within reason, right? You turn water to water. Yeah, yeah, I know it's going to be within moderation. Probably just going to make it disappear when you get to your limit. Like, Drink some water, my son. But with that, <laughs> I'm going to miss him until I see him again. And then even then, yeah. as I'm telling him the stories about the things that I think he missed, I'm going to miss him then. Like, man, you know what I'm saying? But then also, let's say we there together. What about the homeboys that ain't there with us now? You always going to miss something or someone. I think it's about how do you Being find both. that. Being in both. Be present. Be present. Be present. Be. Be. It's not about grieving. It's not about getting over. It's about being. Yeah. 
And if you can find, live, live, live. If you allow those individuals to die and then you die with them, that's the real death. That's the real pain. Yeah. When you allow people to die and you die with them, you have to still live. And I think that you have to live not, I I hate telling people live for other people that's not here because shit, you shouldn't be living for them when they are here. Continue to live for yourself. Yeah. And I think as you live for yourself, as there are qualities about you, and I tell you this, like we brothers, there's qualities about Nellum that irk my nerves, right? And the reason they irk my nerves is because he's one of the smartest people I know. But just like he had tell me, I know he ain't living in his full potential. So things like that irk my nerves. But it's things that I know that he is the best at. And I'm super proud to see him doing that. Like, you know what I'm saying your podcast, the way that you taking care of your family, the way that I've seen you elevate as a teacher. Yeah. I take qualities of that and then I put it into my life because I admire that and I want to be that type of man, not for you, not for your glorification. But I'm like, that's something I respect and that's something that I want to be. That's something that I want to have pride in. So I, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it because that's the better I see for myself. Love it. You know, yeah, just be, just be for your people. Calvin Nolan Podcast, episode five. I gave you power, but you know, with with that power, just live life. Just live. Do the best you can. Yep. Work with things locals to control. Love your kids. Love them hard. But love yourself first because don't love them like the dove. <laughs> don't squeeze them so tight yes. that when you let them go, they don't have nowhere to go. But I think just be. Yeah. Delonte Jones, what do yeah, you got to pop in, man? Anything you got coming up? Maybe you will talk about, you know, some of maybe your scholarship things. Shout yeah, out yeah, to yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, shout out. Yeah, I'll I'll um I'll do that. So um I run an organization with a group of my brothers called the uh Collab Foundation. Y'all. Um, it's the collab.org. We run a fellowship called the DOC where uh, it's the Dr. Nara fellowship uh, off of one of our, and I won't do like fallen brothers. One of our brothers who's not here anymore in the physical, still with us in the spiritual, but still not here with us in the physical. We, uh, you know, started a financial literacy program where we service juniors at the charter school that we both work at yes. to um, build and uplift them and give them some of those tools and strategies that we necessarily didn't have. So two things we got coming up with that. We have a um, annual digital showcase that we do. That showcase will take place in uh, March. Nice. So I'll make sure that Mr. Nellum, he should put it as a commercial for some of his upcoming yeah, podcasts. Awesome. And then also at any time throughout the year, you can donate at it's the collab.org. Um, we're a nonprofit. We're putting all of our own money into it right now. And then we're working to give the children $5,000 scholarships wow. once they complete our two-year program. So anything that can you can... donate it again? Um, it's the Perfect. And where can they find you? They can find me. Um, yeah, Vibes by Jones. Um, that's... Uh, that's I think that's straightforward. Spelled yeah. straight across. Yeah. And then also, you can check me and my uh, wife out with our family business, Just Jones LLC. We're doing some great things there. Um, get some pictures of the kids doing some uh, just we all about impacting like young people, especially like just, you know, my kids are younger, but I also just got a love for like teens. That's why I work in a high school. So you'll really be able to find on that page on that uh, goodjones.com is the website. You'll be able to find ways that 
you can empower yourself, yeah. your mental care, your mental, your self care, but then also find ways to like empower your children. Cause I think that it starts uh, from there. I think that the, one of the things we talked about earlier about children just going towards violence and not really having other skills to cope. The first person that they learn to have successful disagreements with is their parent. Mm, okay. And if you don't yeah. get them the opportunity to learn how to successfully navigate mm. that, they never will. And then they're going to grow up because what do parents do? And they're just going to drop the mic when this is done now because it's some nice equipment. But <laughs> what do parents do when kids don't do what they want them to do? They whoop their ass. Mm -hmm. You do that to me for 13 years. First time I have a disagreement with somebody, what I want to do to them. Calvin on the podcast. I gave you power. Love you all. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe. YouTube, Mr. Nellum Calvin with a K. Also subscribe to Patreon. I know you all don't love this content, so go ahead and hook up a brother, man. But if not, go ahead and give me a Please subscription. Support. Please support. Appreciate you all so much. Talk to you soon. Peace.